Welcome to Christchurch Winchester's Lockdown Lowdown podcast. And this week we are stepping firmly into Lent. And as we do so, we're donning the sandals of Nehemiah as we learn from him and study the first three chapters of this Old Testament book. Our resident theologian, Canon Brian Wakelin, is here to tell us more. Brian, why Nehemiah? Traditionally, Lent has been a time of, of introspection and of looking inwardly on where we've been and giving things up and all those sorts of things. But actually, it's also a time of formation and of looking ahead. Very struck by Dean Catherine in her cathedral email this week. She talks about this Lent being different and that we will be looking at those promises of renewal and of a new heart and a new spirit being put within us that Ezekiel talks about. For us as a church, what's it going to look like over the next 12 months as we come out of lockdown and begin to rebuild? And for Nehemiah, he was in a similar sort of position of coming back into a city which was in ruins or in part ruins and the need to rebuild, uh, not just the, the physical walls, but to rebuild the community as well. Nehemiah is clearly a praying man. How does he pray? I think Nehemiah has um, an expectancy that God will work. He doesn't know how. Um, Bishop David was using the phrase hopeful uncertainty when he was talking to the clergy and the deanery the other week. And I think there's something about that. When Nehemiah prays, I mean, it's over a period of three months, as far as we can tell from the text at the start of the book. He just lays out before God who God is, basically. He doesn't really pray a prayer of intercession other than open up a way for me to speak to to the king at some stage. But he's actually relying and repeating God's promises from the past. So I think there is an expectancy that God will work, but he has no idea how that's going to come about. So who exactly is Nehemiah? Nehemiah was one of the, the, probably one of those who was exiled into Babylon, where he may have been the, a, a child or somebody who was there. But somehow he'd risen up very high in terms of being one of the chief court courtiers in Artaxerxes' court. He describes himself as just as a throwaway line, now I was cupbearer to the king. Being a cupbearer had privileges. Um, it also had a downside, and as far as we can tell, um, one of the key principal tasks he had was to not only serve the wine at the king's table or the drinks at the king's table, but to make sure that there was no poison in them either. So he was expected to taste as far as we can tell. Um, this was probably a slightly dangerous career move, but also from documents that we have elsewhere um, from that same time from the culture around. It seems that very often the cupbearer was also one of the chief courtiers. So one of the chief ministers. Um, I'll leave you to work out which of the ministers becomes cupbearer to Boris, but uh, um, it, it was that sort of that sort of role. So that there was a both a, a, a security angle to it. Um, he was part of the bodyguard, but also that he had may well have had responsibilities of advising the king. This relationship with the king seems crucial. Could you tell us how it works for good? When Nehemiah finally gets an opportunity to say something to the king. There's um, a wonderful little phrase that gets used, 
because the king says, why are you sad in my presence? And it, it seems that this wasn't a criticism, which you might have thought it might be, um, but it's actually a genuine inquiry. There's a line which comes in the text which says, for Nehemiah, I, I prayed to the Lord and I said to the king. There's just something there about all that's gone on in the previous three months of his praying. He's now saying, God, as I open my mouth now, guide me more in what I'm saying. Now, he then goes on to give a project plan and a bill of quantity, basically, to the king as to what he's going to do in rebuilding the walls. And so the king sends him back and um, to Jerusalem. When he gets there, he doesn't go in with a great fanfare and say, right, hi, guys, I've come in. We're going to fix it now. But rather, he spends time looking at the state of the walls. He's appalled by it. Security-wise, um, it's a nightmare. Anybody could have walked into the city and done whatever they wanted. But more importantly, I think he views the state of the walls as, be, as impugning God's honor. Here is God's people, and yet they're living in a city which is not protected. What does that say about their God? And, and that's what leads him on, I think, to the next stage of calling the elders of the city together and saying, right, this is what we're going to do. And Brian, could you tell us more about the importance of the rebuilding of the wall? It's interesting when it was in chapter three, when, when, when much of the community starts to repair the walls. And the word that's used there for repair simply means to strengthen and to make whole. It doesn't mean to put it back as it was. And I think for all of us, as we look back over the past 12 months and as we look forward, so often the debate is, do we build back better? Uh, you know, that we won't go back to as it was before. And there's a whole bundle of different areas where we might go back and do things differently. And I think that's really where some of the, the challenge of Nehemiah comes. I mean, he's prayed, but what about our prayer lives over these past 12 months? What, what's changed? And what will we want to keep as we go forward? What is it that we haven't missed? And therefore, were those things not needed in future? What are the things that we've really missed? How are we going to build those up? Part of that looking forward is saying, okay, during the lockdowns and everything else, for many of us, we've worked in different ways in our communities. Those community links are probably ones we never had before. So how are we going to continue to nurture those in the future of providing a Christian witness into those particular areas? What's it going to look like for us as a Christian community coming together? I know one, one particular person I've spoken to has said, I'm a bit worried about going back into church at the end of all this, because I'm not sure I'll remember people's faces. So what will it be like for us as a church in, 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 in going back? There's a wonderful section of Isaiah in Isaiah 58 where he talks about all of, a whole bundle of social injustice. But I love the way in which the message translation wraps all of that together. I'll just read what, what it's there. It is Isaiah 58 verse 12. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, and make the community livable again. I'm just stuck by that particular phrase of making the community livable again. 
And I think that's what Nehemiah actually achieves through bringing people to rebuild the wall. And a bit later on, as he goes back to try and encourage them in what it means to live out godly lives. Finally, what's your prayer for Christchurch? I think it's to take the words that Nehemiah used at the start when he's praying to God and says, God, listen. But I want to reverse that. And I think my prayer is that we will listen. One of the ways in which we're doing this is is that by working together in the small groups and as individuals on this material from Nehemiah, is the opportunity for us to corporately feedback as a community and to to, to learn from each other what God is saying. So I think it it, it is that we will learn to listen to what God is saying to us as as we do this. I think, yes, we will look back, but I, I, I think that bit about what is it we haven't missed, let's ditch that stuff in the future. What is it we've really missed and what's changed for us that we want to keep, that we'll actually be able to look at that And then I guess the third bit is that we will be able to grasp what it means to live with hopeful uncertainty, because this isn't going to go away at the moment. However much we may like to say, come the end of May, come whenever we've done the vaccinations in the UK, everything's going to be fine. Um, But actually, maybe hopeful uncertainty is the thing which we always live with. And we need to grasp that and to trust the great God who cares for us. As Nehemiah does in that great prayer at the start, he talks about the Lord of covenant love or the God who's watched over us. God, go on doing that. And that's the prayer, I think. <laughs>